Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Uh, today, I'm going to be extremely ambitious, and uh, we are going to get through the second half of Romans, verses 18 through 32, and all of chapter 2. Nobody has faith in me. That's what I like. You're my people. Everyone looks at me with like a blank stare. You got to be kidding me. You know what? You know what? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, (laughs) Jason will be able to get through his notes. That's the problem. You don't have faith. All y'all don't have faith in me to be able. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But we're going to go through and try to, uh, to get through this today and process through this. Now, uh, a little bit of a precursor for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, chapter two specifically, uh, Paul is going to start to introduce some verbiage that can get really confusing uh, if we're not careful. And so I want to lay it out so that we have an understanding of what it is. Paul's going to start talking about works. Okay. Now, when it comes to salvation and our belief in Jesus, this little word of works or deeds always trips us up. Because there either is, is, is one side or the other. Either we're saved by grace and faith in Jesus, and it doesn't matter what we do as long as we have faith in Jesus, which is true. But it's also true that when you put your faith in Jesus, he then comes and begins to transform your life and put his finger on things that he wants to sanctify and he wants to redeem. And so you better believe that in your life, there are things that you are going to work out. The Bible says you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the idea of works is not one that it's like, well, you better do all the right stuff so you'll just have salvation. That's not it. But you better believe that if you are a follower of Jesus and you've put your faith in Jesus, that he will put his finger on things. And he, his desire is to come into your heart and to transform some things in you. Amen? Amen. Okay, this is why these two things have to function together, right? And so when Paul starts talking about works, what he's talking about is the effect of your faith, or James puts it this way, faith without works is dead. In other words, what is the proof of your faith in Jesus? The life that you live. You have to really be careful if you, if you buy into a gospel that says, well, I have no responsibility, it's all on Jesus. Yes, it is, but then when Jesus comes and continues to work in your life, we had better respond to him. And that's what it means to have these things worked out in our life. So let's not get tripped up as we start going through here, right? What we are not talking about and what Paul is not talking about is doing something in order to earn your salvation. And in other words, if you don't do those things, you lose your salvation. Your salvation is in faith in Jesus alone, but you have to believe, and we should desire to have him transforming our life. This is this complete picture of salvation that I talked about last week. You have a justification, which is a one-time event where you've been acquitted of all of your sin. It's all been absolved. It's all been wiped away. But then you enter into this life of what's called sanctification. And this is where God starts to work in your life and to move and to transform things inside of you. And I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful that he does that. 
I'm so grateful that he doesn't just leave us alone and say, well, try to figure it out. No, he brings the Holy Spirit, the comforter, who gives us wisdom and the ability to grow into the people that he has for us to be. So let's understand this as we go through. Now, Paul today, in these two chunks of scripture, is going to be talking about and laying out how messed up you are. (laughs) It's going to be great. We are all messed up. Look at your neighbor and say, you're messed up. Now look at your other neighbor and say, you're more messed up. (laughs) And if the neighbor you look to second was your spouse, you're in big trouble. So have fun with that. (laughs) Paul's going to paint this picture of complete depravity, and here's why. Chapter 3 gets really good. But the only reason that chapter three gets really good is we understand the importance and the, sub, the, the, the soberness of chapters one and two. The salvation of Jesus is only powerful when we understand how much we need it in our lives. So Paul's painting this picture to help you understand, hey, you don't have a hope. <laughs> You're just nothing. Oh, but there is a hope, and I'm going to get there, yeah. right? So this is what Paul's going to do. Now, um, I, I want to I say this too, that in this, what Paul is going to do, he's going to paint the picture of depravity. But the reason he's doing it is he's laying out a way for us to come back to Jesus. He's laying out a way that says, this is how you come back to God. This, this is how you return And so he's giving us hope here that we're not just out on our own, but he says, no, this is how you return to God. So these two things that Paul's going to address, the two things are two words. One is called lawlessness, or it would be called rebellion. Okay. And this is in the first chunk of of scripture there that it's going to be talking about lawlessness or rebellion against God. The second of those is self-righteousness or this really ugly word called religiosity. Okay. Now, both of these things, Paul is going to talk about the importance of both of those, but both of them lead us away from God. Whether you live a rebellious life, which by the way, we all have, the, the, the thing about sin is that we have all rebelled against God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody exempt from that. And so, so this, this thing is, a, it's an all encompassing thing here. But also for those of us who maybe we've been in church for a while or maybe we haven't or maybe we think that we just live a pretty good life. I, I have pretty good morals. I treat people pretty good. I, like, I, I do this pretty well. Well, that's nice, but it doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't save you. Your salvation is not in how good you can be. Like if that was the case, we would all be in big trouble because none of us are perfect. So Paul's gonna look at these two words here and the importance of these. The first one we're going to look at is lawlessness or rebellion. Okay, lawlessness or rebellion. The reason for this is that we have all rebelled. We've all gone against God, okay? Nobody exempt. This is where it is. Romans 1.25 says, and it's in this passage now, that they exchanged the truth of God. You can put it up, Lane. Romans 1.25. Go, there we go. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what, was, what had been created instead of the creator. 
So the people he's talking about in here are people that rejected God and churned to things that he had created. This is called idolatry, okay? It's a really nasty, ugly word, but we're gonna go there, okay? Are, are you guys okay with this? Are you guys, okay? The, the, I, I'm telling you what, it's probably gonna pull at you a little bit and you're probably gonna be a little bit convicted, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so be convicted knowing where we're gonna get to here at the end. Now, now, why do we reject God? If all of us in this place have rebelled and rejected against God, there is a reason why that takes place. And we have to understand why that is. Well, let me give you a couple of these reasons why I think we reject God or why we rebel against him. Number one is his standards. His standards. I have news for you. God has very high standards. Do you know what his standards are? Perfection. Cool. That's his standard. Like, that's a heavy weight, but it's also understanding we can never attain that. So, so here's what happens, is that when we think about the standards and the holiness and the perfection of God, we have one of two options. We either turn to Jesus and say, in Jesus, I am perfect and I'm right before the Father because of the sacrifice of Christ. Or we reject God because we in ourselves can never attain that standard, okay? Some of these things that, that, that are involved in, the, in, in standards that, that God asks us for, he calls us to crucify our flesh, to get rid of our flesh, the fleshly desires to not give into the things that our flesh naturally wants us to do. He says, no, I want you to crucify those and get rid of those. You see, you see, obeying God and living for him actually requires this thing called self-denial. It's a very, very popular thing in our culture today. We hear about self-denial all the time. No, self-gratification. Do whatever makes you feel good. What does God say? No, no, no. If you're going to follow me, I want you to give some things up. Why? Because he has so much better for you. I heard it communicated this way that sometimes when we think about stepping out and, and, and why would we trust God when my life is so good and everything I'm doing is, is so good right now, why would I do this? And I heard the illustration of, of being in a, a jail cell with the door wide open. And the jail cell feels comfy. It feels like, wow, this is great. This, I got everything in the world. And the beckoning of God is to come out of the jail cell. Because at some point, the jail cell will close. And then there's no way out. So what does he do? He invites us into his way of life, which is through his son, Jesus. So Steve Schell, in his book that he writes about Romans, he says this, it's not religion that offends people. It's the holiness of God. So in order to escape, we exchange the true God for one or more that we invent. Gods that we can control by doing religious works and who let us behave the way we want to. There's a gut punch for you. Now, no show of hands. <laughs> I mean that, no show of hands. I think we've, we can all relate to this in one way or another. Okay? Rejecting God... Listen to this, this is important, is that rejecting God because of his standards is actually rejecting the work of the cross. Yeah. 
We put the two together. I can never attain his standard, so I'm just going to reject God in my life. Rather than saying, Jesus, I receive and accept you, and through you, I have perfection in Christ. I have righteousness in Christ. Not because of what you did, but because he's perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice. Sinless. Flawless. That should give you some hope today. That should give you some hope. Another reason that people reject God, his authority. We don't like other people telling us what to do. We live in a society that says, I get to call the shots for my life. I get to do what I want. No, no, nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? Like, you, I'm, I stand on my own two feet. And, and I have news for you, that, that in this world that we live in and in the, the culture of the United States, this is blown up in our world. But I, I, got, I got news for you here. The kingdom of God is not a democracy, it's a monarchy. Meaning, if we are part of the kingdom of God, we have a king. The king calls the shots. His word is final. We have a hard time with that, living in in the culture we are, right? Living in a democratic society, right? We don't like the guy, we vote him out. We don't like that rule, we vote it out, right? We're very much involved with this. Well, that doesn't fly very well in the kingdom of heaven. It just doesn't. It's his way or it's not a good way. (laughs) The authority that he has drives people away. Why? Because it threatens this independence by requiring accountability. Accountability is a word that we don't like. You mean I have to be accountable to somebody else about how I'm living my life? Yeah. Welcome to the family. We hold each other accountable to the standards and the way of life that God's called us to. Now, when I say accountability, what I mean is this. Not somebody who's looking over your shoulder every second of the day to make sure that you're doing things right. What I mean by accountability is somebody who has your back, who is on the same journey, headed in the same direction you are, and can actually speak life into you. So when you're struggling, you have somebody that goes man, you can do this because you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you and I believe it and I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna stand with you and I'm gonna hold you accountable. Why? Because there's a higher standard but believing that you have the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Accountability strengthens one another. It's not just a sitting there with looking down your nose at somebody else. It's actually being in the fight with somebody else. This is what Jesus asks us to do in this life of Christianity that we call Another reason why people reject God is this. His rewards are primarily in the future. If you look at a lot of the promises that God has in the Bible, they are yet to come. Now, he absolutely gives promises about right now. And this is is the balance that we walk in. We live in this tension of the here and now and the not yet. The things that God has promised that are fulfilled right now, that we have possession of right now, and the things that are still coming in the future. This is where we are. We're in this, this, this massive in-between of these two places, and we have to understand what it is to navigate this. The other thing that our culture does a really, really good job of is teaching us about immediate gratification. I, I want what I want, and I want it now, right? How many times, if we're honest, do we take that same filter to God? 
God, I need a healing now. Well, sometimes his answer is now, but sometimes it's not. And are we going to submit to his authority to trust his plans and his purposes, knowing that some of those promises are to be fulfilled in the future? This is the reason why people reject God. So the result is, is that this rejection of God leads to us creating other gods and put them in place and these gods that we can control. Verses 22 to 23 of Romans 1 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles, right? They, they exchanged it. They said, forget God. We're going to create this own other thing over here. And like I said, this is idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of anything other that is in the place of God. It's what takes your affection and it's what takes your worship that is not God. Now, idolatry can show itself in a couple different ways. And I want you to hear me on this because this is, this, I think this is really important. And I think, I, I believe that there is a breakthrough for some of you here in this place. That idolatry can actually show itself in both worry and worship. Not that you will never worry about things. Like, that's impossible, right? Worried about what shirt I was going to wear this morning. I didn't. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, thank you. I didn't worry about that. Worry is a natural part of life. But if we are, listen to me, if we are consumed by worry, whatever we are worrying about has become an idol. God has not called us to be consumed with worry about things. Just as something can take all of our attention and, and the best of who we are and, 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 and leads to addiction and all of these kinds of things, even in that place, the other is equally as true. And so this is the thing that we need to understand of what idolatry is. Idolatry breeds these things in us. Now, this then leads to this progression, and I'm going to lead you to the progression here of rebellion and rejection, and then it's going to get good. I promise you it will. That when we get to the place of replacing God with other gods that we can control, that will give us permission to behave the way that we want to, the result is, being, is that we are increasingly controlled by our flesh. When we replace God, and when we look to other things, those other things actually become the things that control us. Here's the irony. The irony is as we reject God saying, I don't, I don't want your, your authority telling me what to do. I don't want your rules dictating my life. I don't want you calling the shots for my life. I want to have freedom and independence to do my own thing. Guess what happens? You're actually controlled by the very things that you were going away from God to do. Yes. You're controlled regardless. Rebellion, though, puts it in this place where you're controlled by something that doesn't have your best interest in mind. See, if we submit our lives to God, we believe that he has our best interest in mind, that he has life for us, and he has hope, and he has a future, and it takes surrendering to those things. Verse 24 of, of Romans 1 says, Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their heart. The rebellion was so strong that they said, I, I'm, I'm just going to go away from God. And it's one of the scariest verses in the Bible where God goes, okay, 
Go ahead. Oh, man. That'll take the wind out of you. I pray that it would never be that way. That, that I would get so far rebellious in my life that God would say, okay, go ahead. Oh, that does not feel like a good place to be in. This is what this does. Now, from that progression then, rebellion makes it this thing that we just, we start to exchange these things, we're controlled by the flesh, but then what it does is it changes our moral values to end up relieving the tension between conscience and behavior. Okay, I'm painting the picture here for you to understand it. We replace God because we don't want his control in our life. And we start going away from that and in turn being controlled by the other things that we say we're not controlled by. And then we get to the point where we actually then have to change the moral makeup of our mind to relieve this tension of the sin and the rebellion we're in. Okay, this, do you see the progression here? Verse 28 through 31 says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to the corrupt mind so that they did not do what was right. They're filled with all unrighteousness and evil and greed and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. That just sounds like the most amazing list for somebody to be. (laughs) Not at all. Oh, my goodness. The antithesis, right? But this is the progression that rebellion and rejection of God leads us down. Lawlessness, pursuing sin instead of pursuing God. Here's where it ultimately leads. Ultimate rebellion is then the affirmation of the same rebellion in others. You've so far rejected God and convinced yourself that the lifestyle you live is right that you actually affirm it in other people. You actually celebrate it in other people. Do you, do you see how this is so, so toxic? Do you see this? Now, now here's the thing with rebellion. The, the, the rebellion is the exchange of the truth of God with a belief in a lie. Okay? Well, who's the father of lies? Satan. He's the father of lies and he gets it. But you know how Satan works? He never blatantly lies to you. Because he knows if he would blatantly lie to you, you wouldn't believe it. You'd be like, what? That is so far out of left field. What are you even talking about? What does he do? He twists things over time. And little minute changes in what happens causes you to be way off track. Think of it as a compass. When I was in scouts, I did a lot of orienteering, which is essentially walking in the woods with being lost because you have a map and a compass and don't know how it works. So it's just you're walking in the woods lost. It's great. And they call it orienteering. But what's really important is when you're orienteering, you have a compass. And the compass, you have to have that lined up perfectly, not one degree off. Because what happens is if you're one degree off, at the moment you start, it's not a big deal. You're either here or you're here. You're here or you're here. You're here or you're here. It's not that big of a deal. But you follow that one minute step for a mile, you're way off. 
That's how the enemy works in your life. Okay? Now, let me, let me give you an example of this, okay? You'll hear this. Stick with me, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not introducing something that's heretical here. Okay, stick with me. We've heard these phrases. You are saved by grace only. And it doesn't matter what you do. We would all believe that. However, if rebellion has had its place in your heart and has gotten to the full extent, then what that actually is saying from a rebellious heart is it's grace that saves me and it doesn't matter what I do. Do you see the difference? That phrase, I'm saved by grace and it doesn't matter what I do, I'm forgiven means that if I mess up and when I fall and when I fail, that God will pick me back up and I'm still forgiven because I'm a child of his. What it does not give you permission to is continue to knowingly sin. Okay, hear me on this. Hear me on this. Intentional rebellion, intentional rebellion is a misunderstanding and a misuse of the grace of God intentional rebellion. I'm not talking about I messed up again and I did something wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you knowing I shouldn't do this and yet still doing it. It's a misuse of the grace of God. Is everyone okay? Okay. I'm telling you what, I I told you, one and two gets real heavy in order for us to get to three, all right? So that's what we're going to go for. Now, into uh, chapter two then, okay? Um, Into chapter two. The final step of rebellion is that we convince others and we applaud them and all this kind of stuff. And then chapter two starts in on uh, self-righteousness or religiosity. Now, in some ways, religiosity and self-righteousness is actually more dangerous than lawlessness because it's when you come from a place of knowing but yet still don't do okay so paul's going to talk about this romans 2 4 says do you despise the riches of the kindness and the restraint of the patience of god not knowing that god's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance this is a key for this entire passage and this is where we're going to come to here at the end okay Religiosity. Let's talk about this for a little bit. We talked about lawlessness. We talked about rebellion. Everyone's now going, man, I got a lot of stuff in my life, right? Well, let me, let me just pile on a little bit more, and then we'll get to the end, and we'll get the grace of God, okay? All right, here we go. Here we go. Religiosity faces the same judgment as rebellion. Not one is not better than the other. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm self-righteous. I do all the right things and I, I try a little harder to be a little bit better. And, and, and no, it faces the same exact thing as rebellion, right? Like there's no, there's no gauge or whatever in all of it. It's the same thing. Self-righteousness, uh, it mistakes the kindness of God as a sign that he's pleased with our religiosity when in fact he's actually patiently waiting for us to repent. Okay, (laughs) we think sometimes, wow, God's really happy with me. No, he's just really patient. (laughs) How many are so thankful for the patience of God? I'm I'm telling you what right now, that there's some times when I'm like, oh, you are so patient with me. Like, I'm blown away you haven't given up yet. (laughs) But he's so patient, right? 
This is the thing for us to remember. We have to be very careful not to misinterpret God's patience as indifference. We think sometimes, oh, if I just live this lifestyle, God's totally fine with it. No, he's not. He's just very patient. He's not impressed with how religious we become or how much we know, but rather he looks to see if our hearts have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. This is why, this is why. Jesus, when he's on the Sermon on the Mount, he concludes the Sermon on the Mount with talking about the foundation of your life. And he said that a strong foundation is somebody who hears these words of mine and puts it into practice. And a weak foundation is somebody who hears these words of mine but doesn't put it into practice. Religiosity is hearing, knowing, being aware of all the things, but it doesn't actually do anything in our lives. It's being book smart without being heart smart at the same time. It's allowing there to be a lot of head knowledge without a transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need both. If we just sit here and go, well, yeah, I've, I've, I've got, I know, I know a lot of stuff. I've read the Bible like at least one time. And, and you know, I, I know it. And I know it all, you know, down pat. And I've got it all figured out. And God's not impressed with that. Now he'll use that. But he's not impressed by it. He's impressed by your heart that's surrendered to him. And a heart that is soft and pliable before him. Self-righteousness leads to, here's a few of these things that self-righteousness does. It leads to judgment of others. Well, that's a fun one to talk about. He talks about this in verse one. Those of you who judge others are guilty because you yourself do the same thing. Jeez, wow, easy there, Paul. It leads to judgment of others. How about this one? It leads to hypocrisy because of not practicing what you're actually preaching. Your life doesn't actually line up, line up with what you believe. You say one thing, live a totally different way. Okay? Now, again, just a reminder as we go through, we all have landed in these in one way or another. Okay? So let's just, let's just set the commonality, right? We're all guilty. So nobody in here needs to feel condemnation because we've all been in the same place. The other thing that it does is this. It leads to becoming complacent about sin because of misinterpretation. We misinterpret the love of God. We misinterpret the kindness of God. So we become complacent in allowing sins to exist in our life that he has very, very clearly said no. Like, get, get rid of those things. But we become complacent. Or how about this? We become increasingly guilty because of a pattern of denial. We deny the sin that we are stuck in, believing that our right things outweigh that. I, I, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good. I know a lot of the stuff. I know, how to, I know how to act. I know how to come to church and put on the face. And, and I know how to do all that stuff. Like I'm pretty good denying everything that we leave out in the parking lot that we pick up when we leave. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Paul's addressing a bigger issue, a heart issue here. Like I said, the actions and the deeds of our heart, they prove what we believe and the authority that we live under. Now, 
as we get ready to conclude, we all have areas of lawlessness and rebellion. We all have areas of self-righteousness and religiosity, right? That's just what it is. But Paul gives us a hope. And the hope comes in a way that at first you probably look at and go, what? Because he talks about circumcision. Yeah. What is your problem, Paul? But he says this about circumcision. Verse 28 and 29. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. True circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, listen, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That a person's praise is not from God, or is not from people, but from God. He's using a term that they would have recognized. Old Testament circumcision was a ceremonial act that was a cutting away of the flesh. New Testament circumcision of the heart is cutting away of the fleshly nature. So what's the hope? God wants to come do surgery in your life to remove that stuff. To cut away rebellion. To cut away religiosity so that you can be right before him and have a relationship with him. This is the power of this that comes in. Now, in order for us to step into this place where God comes and does surgery on our hearts and removes these things, there's a very, very important thing that we need to remember. And this is where I land from all of this today. Jesus tells us about it in Luke 5 when he says this, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Okay? What's the key? The way home that Paul lays out here for us who have gone away from God, the way home is through this little word called repentance. The Bible talks about the power of confessing our sins repenting and turning from them to God. This is the part that actually initiates the whole thing. To receive what Jesus did on the cross, to actually make it real in our lives, the first thing it takes is for us to recognize I have rebellion and I've got some self-righteousness. And Jesus, I want to repent of those things. Would you please forgive me? I bring you all of these things that I have and I ask you to take them away, to be my Lord, to be my savior, to be my God and to give me a new life. Repentance, it's the acknowledgement that we've fallen short of the glory of God. The way home is through repentance. First John says it this way. If we confess our sins, repent, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know the word that I love in there? Faithful. He's faithful. If you confess your sins, if we come and we repent of these things, he's faithful to forgive and to cleanse. Repentance is a key to a part of life for us. Repentance has tied to it, though, 
this idea that we're surrendering who we are to who he is. We lay down our, our independence. We lay down all of these things and we say, God, you are the authority in my life. And I will live for you and live according to you and your purposes. It's making a shift in this way. Luke 15 says this, I tell you in the same way that there will be more joy, this is Jesus talking, more joy in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents. The 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The power of repentance. In heaven, in heaven, there's more joy over a repentant heart. Seems like a pretty big key. So here's how we're going to end today. You're going to get with one other person and confess your sins. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've been wanting to do that all week. <laughs> totally kidding. People are like, oh, get the kids. We got to go. We got to go. <laughs> just humor me. Just humor me. Got to have fun every once in a while. Here's what we're going to do, though. We are going to take an opportunity to search our hearts, to see if there would be anything in us that would either be, be rebellious towards God or self-righteous. And we want to give this to be, make this to be an opportunity for us to bring those things to God and receive the forgiveness, the forgiveness that he has, but also to step into that new life that he promises this is what Paul is talking about here. Every single one of us have rebelled against God. Every single one of us have lived in religiosity and self-righteousness. So we can put down the guard of like, oh, I, 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 I'm still pretty good. I'm still pretty good. I kind of got it. No, we can put all that down because he levels the playing field. And we can come before God repenting, repenting. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray here in, in just a second. And we'll put on some, some music, slower music at the end here as we dismiss. I'm going to pray. And I'm actually going to officially, well, actually, you know what I'll do? I'll just jump on keys for a little bit. I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray to dismiss. But I don't want you to leave quite yet. What I want you to do is where you're at in your heart right now and the things that God is pointing out in your life. Would, would, would everybody say in here in this place that maybe God's put his finger on, on one thing in your life this morning? Everyone's like, I don't know. Are you going to tell me to do something? My hope is that through this, through rebellion, self-righteousness, that you're able to identify a piece of that in you. Okay, This is healthy. This is the thing that is needed in our lives to be able to do. And what I want to do is I'm going to pray and then I'm going to jump on keys. I want you to take a moment before you move on with the day, before you pick up your kids, before you go on into the rest of what Sunday has to offer, is to have a moment of repentance of those things that are in your heart, bringing them to God and saying, God, I recognize that I have lived in this way. I recognize that I've rebelled against you either in, 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 in the authority that you have in my life or whatever it is. Or I recognize that I've been really self-righteous, that I've, I've thought that I'm a pretty good person and I've lived under that and, and it's, it's really, really messed me up. Whatever those things are, I want you to grab a hold of those and take a moment to be able to repent 
before God. This is not a long drawn out thing. This is a simple prayer to where you say, God, this is what I've done. And I repent of this and I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to give me a fresh start and to receive your grace and receive your mercy into my life. And then believing that as you step out, you step out forgiven. You step out whole. You step out a new life because of what Jesus is doing inside of you, right? Now, I'll also say this. Maybe for some of you, it's a little bit of a deeper thing. And you want to, uh, this morning, just, just take some time. I, I do want to tell you this, is that these altars are going to be open. And if you today, you just need to spend a little extra time. You've got something specific that this message hit on. There's an area of rebellion. There's an area of self-righteousness in you that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I've lived this way. And I really, really need to meet with God and let him do stuff. And I need to lay some stuff down that I've been rebellious in. I'm going to invite you. You can come up here. This isn't going to be like an official thing, but I want to invite you to come up here. There's also going to be prayer teams at the end of service. And they're going to be up here and they can pray with you and be able to walk through this with you if that's what you desire. So those are open to you, right? But the very least, what I want you to do is I want you to spend a moment with just you and Jesus getting your heart right before him and allowing his forgiveness and grace to come into your life. Does that make sense? Does that make sense what we're doing this morning? Okay. Now, um, be aware that your children do have to be picked up at some point. So just, just know that. Um, my wife is back there today. So please go get your children um, if you care about me at all. Um, so, so you can do that. But let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to stand. And, uh, and very simply, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to dismiss. You can turn this on. There it is. There it is. And, uh, and I'm going to dismiss you for today. A little bit different how we conclude service. But uh, I just want you to have this opportunity with you and God. So Jesus, I ask that you would come right now, Father, to touch every heart that's here. Lord, I recognize that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have rebelled. All of us are guilty of self-righteousness, of religiosity, of, of thinking we're, we've got this all figured out. And so, Father, I pray that today you would come and do the deep work of healing in people's lives today, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that right now you would highlight in each one of us the areas. I, I, I know you've highlighted them in me this week. These areas where I need to repent, where we each need to repent and just receive the grace of Jesus into our lives. So we do that today. Lord, I pray that you would bring those thoughts to your people today. Lord, help us to just repent of those things, to leave them at your feet and receive your grace in this place. I pray that you would bless your people today as they go. I pray that you would bless their week. I pray that they would know closeness with you and a walk with you as they walk out differently in this place today, Jesus. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.